my wife Lisa has made probably a dozen trips to Birmingham the past, uh, certainly over the last year, but in the last few months even, maybe a dozen trips down there to care for her mom. Uh, She was uh, finally under hospice care and passed away right at uh, two and a half, three weeks ago. We had worked out uh, a little routine where uh, when Lisa's in Birmingham, she would call me when she was coming home. And so she'd, she'd give me a call and say, hey, I'm getting on 65 North. Uh, I'll be home at such and such a time. Great. And then I would always look for a call kind of midway, you know, that midway call to say, hey, this is going on and, you know, I'll be home at this time. Well, this is probably a month, maybe a little over a month ago. Uh, sure enough, she called me. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm getting on 65. I'm heading north. I'll be home at 8. So it's about 5. It's about a three-hour drive. And so... She's on her way, and then a few hours later, she calls and says, we checked in, you know, how you doing? And she says, hey, I'm, uh, I'll probably be home around 9 or a little after, which in my mind, I went, wait, it's, you should be 8, it's a three-hour drive. And before I could say anything, she said, uh, I got off, and I, I had to go to the restroom, use the restroom, and I got something to drink, and I've been driving 20 minutes in the wrong direction. <laughs> I'm getting off. I'm turning around, and I'm heading north. I'm, I'm coming home. Now, how many of us have done that? Because I, I want her to know, and I'll tell her. I'll say, honey, every time I told it, 100 people said they did it too, because we all do. But I tell the story because I think there's something similar that can happen in the Christian life. Well, Lloyd, what do you mean? Well, I mean, you can think you're going in the right direction. In fact, you can be doing the right things, the God things, and the whole time be going the wrong way way. And you say, Lloyd, that that doesn't make sense. How can I be doing, for example, how can I be doing things for God and serving and teaching and being a pastor? How can I be doing those things and be going in the wrong direction? Well, I would say this. It's it's not only possible, y'all. I think it's probable for 99.9% of us in the room, which is no doubt why Jesus himself, when he writes the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, the first letter addresses this very issue. It's sobering. You heard it just now. Um, But I'll say this because there's tremendous hope. If we have ears to hear, Carthy read it. I'm going to say it over and over. Mandy even said it. Ears to hear means you don't just hear what I read or what's been read, but you genuinely respond from the heart to that which you hear. Now, when we do that, we get these two things, okay? We get the insurance, so to speak, I'm going in the right direction <laughs> with these things. But we also get this, I think, a very a, a cornerstone principle that moves our faith life from duty to delight. And I would suggest all of us are somewhere on that continuum all the time. Take your Bibles, let's open them if you have them to Revelation chapter 2 verses 1 through 7. Carthy read it, I'm going to take it a section at a time. In each of these letters, we find a very similar pattern with just a few exceptions. Um, Christ says that, he goes, this is who I am, this is what you're doing really well. We have a problem here. Now there's an exception in two of the letters. Now we have a problem and you need to correct this. And then he says, here's how you correct it. Then he offers a promise. 
Okay? Now I'm going to put it under these categories. You'll hear me say this. Uh, we're going to look at Christ's character, Christ's commendation, Christ's correction, then Christ's exhortation. Here's what you need to do. And then Christ's promise. You don't worry about those words because I'm going to say them every time I talk about one of them and I'm going to repeat them over and over. Again, our responsibility to listen. Because the letters are written to very specific local congregations. These were real churches. As he says, he who has ears to hear, singular, if, if, if you have ears individually, listen to what he's saying to you personally. But also listen to what he's saying to the church and literally to us as a community of faith. Start with chapter 2, begin with verse uh, 1. Actually, I'm going to grab verse 20 if I can on chapter 1. So start there, follow along as I read God's word to us today. He says, as for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Okay, I do that for an interpretive reason, because here the Bible interprets itself. We don't have to wonder, what are those? What are those? He tells us, and then he continues. Verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, stop there, that's Christ's character, okay? Now, we know from verse 20 of chapter 1 that the uh, the stars are the angels of the churches and the lampstands are churches themselves. And we got an interpretive question there, don't we? Who are these angels? Are they supernatural beings? Which we know there are angels that are supernatural beings. Or are they just messengers? Are they, as many say, the pastors of the churches? Because angelos, the the word, can be translated angelic beings. And it can be translated, hey, this was a messenger bringing something. You know what the answer is? We don't know, right? We don't, we really don't know. I I lean toward it being uh, angelic beings. And, And here's a reason. There's other reasons to go other ways. But every time the word is used in Revelation, and this is not definitive dogmatic, but every time angelos is used, Revelation, it's of a supernatural being, which I, I think would hold here. What I don't want us to miss is that he's holding the stars in which hand? You tell me. Which hand? Say it. And he's right. Does that make a difference? Like we need to pay attention to something? I'd pay attention to that. It's in his right hand, and his right hand is his hand of power, right? Authority. And notice as well, it says he walks among the lampstands. Now, literally, if you got one of those Bibles that has the literal translation, you know, in the side margin, that means literally, and it says, in the middle of. So it's not he's just meandering around the edges. He's in the middle of the church. So let's put those two thoughts together. And right out of the shoots, we have this, this, the character of Christ is that of power and authority and presence. He's here. Now, when I said that, I meant it literally, y'all. He's here. And we know he lives in us, but I'm just telling you, in the, when the, ga- the gathered community of faith, he's here. And, and I know you go, well, we know that. We just sang about it. We, and I know that, but I just think sometimes what we know doesn't translate into how we act. In, in, I'm speaking to myself when I say this. Now, this happens a lot around here, okay? You're out, soccer game. I don't know, you're at the grocery store. Who knows? You're at your kid's <coughs> you know, recital, whatever. And <clears throat> you have a celebrity sighting. Oh my gosh, there's, that's, right? And, and you know when this happens, especially in a restaurant, uh, the air in the restaurant changes, 
little electrons start flying around, and even your own body language. And I, and I say that, and, and you know, I do that. And, and yet we're quick to say, again, I'm talking to myself, you know, where two or three are gathered, the Lord is there. Would you pass me the ketchup? You know, or it's just, I'm going to church, I'm here. No, he's here. Who? Uh, the one described in Revelation 1, 9 through 20, with eyes like fire and feet of burnished bronze. And You see, I wonder if it, it, it might serve us before we walk in those doors. Let's, you know, we're coming in, the whole clan's coming in. You see her grab the whole family, Mike, and you say, guys, before we walk in, I want you to read this. And you read Revelation 1, 9 to 20. He's in there. Now let's go in and worship. A great reminder. Also a reminder, y'all, when we go through these letters, <clears throat> we cannot separate what he says with who he is, which is why in each letter there's this descriptor from 1, 9 through 20 of the very character of Jesus. Okay, there's his character. Let's go to his commendation. Look again in your Bibles. Chapter 2, verses uh, 2 and 3, and then verse 6. Notice he says, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Verse 6, he notes, yes, yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also Hate. I'm going to give you three categories to think about this commendation. Here's what you're doing. Fabulous. This is amazing. He starts with this one, hard work. He commends their hard work. Uh, deeds is the general comment, and then toils is this idea, and you know this, when you toil, you sweat. When you toil, you work to exhaustion. This is a church in which the members of the church toiled. Uh, Paul says in Colossians 2, I labored. I labor to present everyone, every man complete, mature in Christ. Well, what did they do, Lloyd? Well, go to Acts or Ephesians. They, they gathered. They probably did like what we do. They served each other. They cared for one another. They sacrificed. They gave. They met the needs of the community. They proclaimed Christ locally. You know, they just did those things, and they did it hard. They worked very hard. Hard work's the first commendation. Secondly, he commends their courageous orthodoxy. When, when we say orthodoxy, you remember this means, it simply means a big word for truth. It's a big wor word for the, the, the content of truth. They had courageous orthodoxy, holding to correct doctrine. In that day, the church was exploding. Uh, there was a shortage of teachers. When you read Acts, you recognize this had to be when thousands were coming to faith. Who's going to teach them? Well, there was a shortage of teachers and it opened an opportunity for false teachers to come in and teach. And they did it in spades, such that Paul, back in uh, Acts 20, he says to the Ephesian elders when he's leaving them, I'm leaving and savage wolves are coming and there are even some in your midst and they're going to devour you and they're even going to lead the disciples astray. Y'all, Paul said that 40 years ago, okay? It was 40 years and now Jesus is saying this 40 years later to the church at Ephesus. This is amazing to me. You've had courageous orthodoxy. You don't let people teach who, who don't hold to correct doctrine. You, you put them out. You don't allow them in. You stand on the truth. Forty years of faithfulness to the truth. That's amazing to me. I mean, we're less than 20 years as a community of faith. Oh, that we might stand 40 years later and still be able to say we stood on the truth. So hard work, 
courageous orthodoxy. And then the last category he commends is joyful steadfastness. Joyful steadfastness. He commends him twice. He says, you persevere. Okay, that word persevere, it's two uh, Greek words, hupomeno and mene, uh, but hupo means under, under, and mene, meno means to remain under. That's the word perseverance, to, to remain under. Remain under what? Under the suffering, under the persecution, under people being against you, under the hardship, you remain under this is uh, you, you remember I don't remember when when it actually happened but I do remember some junior high or something you know that science class chemistry class I don't know but they would put out the uh, put the mercury on the table today it's probably everybody knows it's toxic they don't even do this anymore but we did and and you remember playing with the you remember playing with the mercury you remember putting your finger on it what would happen when you try and press down a mercury it it would not remain under right it's just kind of squiggly. Uh, this idea is the exact opposite. It's that when the pressure comes, you remain under it. And it's not, this, this stinks, this is awful. It's not grin and bear it. It's, it's you remain under it because you know that it's, it's God's work to, think of James 1, it's God's work to shape your character, to grow you, to deepen your faith. And you remain under. Such commendation. I'm telling you, these guys... We're doing it right. You could not have picked a better church to join. Literally, I'm not speaking in hyperbole. Last weekend, I had a night class. We had a night class at the Brentwood Congregation uh, Explore class. People come to, you know, think about joining fellowship. And uh, can I tell you this? And I, I, I meant it. I described fellowship like this. Because <laughs> I think we are. I, I really do. There's much to be commended in our mission and values, right? Glorify God by proclaiming Christ, mature in the faith, and be equipped to give your lives away. This and I, I said this, this is, this is, these are good things. However, they are in fact going in the wrong direction. And it, it behooves us, doesn't it then, to say, are we? Wait a minute, we're doing, are we? That's the question. How are we? Christ's character, his commendation. Uh, Here comes the correction. Look with me at verse four. But I have this against you that you have left your first love. Y'all remember the song, and and we sing it a lot, you know, I don't know last time, but, uh, and if our God is for us, then who can be, you know, that's Romans 8.31, it's wonderful. How about if we were singing this song? And if our God's against us, then we have a massive problem. No one stands against him. And they have a problem in Ephesus. First is the idea of priority. First in order. What comes before all other things? Now, I want to get at this in a way that I, that I, I do think gets at the hearts, faithful to the text, but, but helps us kind of get our arms around it and go, what's that mean to me? How does that apply to, to us and me? Let me get to this. First has to do with motivation. It's, 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 it's what's first before you do something. It's what precedes what you do is how you're motivated. Gets to the heart, doesn't it? Um, it's not what you do, according to the Bible, 
It's why you do it. Now, we got both. You can't separate them. But something comes first. (laughs) Why? Which tells us we can work ourselves to exhaustion. Uh, We can stand on the truth. And we can endure courageously and steadfast and be going 70 miles an hour toward Birmingham when you should be going 70 miles an hour toward Nashville. First love. You know, they didn't lose it. They left it. They abandoned it. Uh, First love is that kind of love that embarrasses everyone in the room except the two people that have it. Have you ever have you ever been eating in a restaurant and you're hungry but suddenly you lose your appetite because you look over there and you go, Really? You 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 have to sit like that? I mean it's a public You're gonna feed her like she's a baby from your plate? I mean, you know, it's that kind of you know, because but but what what do they care? I don't care. Um, in the life of faith, we could describe first love, and, and, and I think this is appropriate. It's, it's that quality most evident when we first come to faith. Or I would say it this way, when, when, when you first come to, I don't, uh, and it, it can happen many times, but you, you have that awakening of what the gospel is. And the reason I describe it like that is some of us came to faith as children, which is fantastic, but it maybe it was later in life when, when the truth of grace when the gospel began to break in and go, oh, I, you know, you've been a Christian, I've known, but oh, oh my God, God did. You know, it's that, that sense of awakening. The, the reason I said that most of, that, that, that losing first love is probable, I got two reasons here, there could be others. The first is that we abandon our first love doing good things. There's nobody in this room, literally, it's in here going, uh, I'm going to choose exactly the opposite of God wants, and you know that's why I'm going to walk away from first love. That's not how it happens. You're actually going to, you're actually going to do what I ask you to do, or the teacher asks you to do, or the Bible asks you. You're actually going to believe the truth is is real, and you're going to do this. This is sneaky, isn't it? And you're actually going to do it. See, that can be the can be the path to the loss of first love. That's why it's so common and probable. The second reason is it's imperceptible till it's too late. It's a, it's a progression. You don't just decide, ah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do it. I'm not going to do it because I, I love Jesus. I'm just going to do it. You don't decide that way. You, you sneak into it. It could be like this. This is, can be common. There's a time in your life where you came to faith in Christ. You believed, trusted that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, was buried, raised again. He did it for you. And, and there's that season when it just awakens in you and you just... You, you, you're without words for his great love for you and, 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 and it, it, you can't help. In other words, it's not like someone says you need to do this because the Bible says to do it. You do it because you love Jesus and it just pours out of you and you can't help tell people about him. You can't do the things he asks you to do, not because you have to, because you, you want to. It's just in you, you know, and, 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 and others kind of notice that and someone comes along and says, man, would you lead this Bible study? And you, you, know, you go, yes, I want to help people know Christ and you lead the Bible study and two or three years in, it's just seeing amazing things, but two or three years in, it's kind of like, man, these people have really got problems. And, and you know, Jesus doesn't seem to be answering their problems because their problems stay with them and I've had some problems... 
but you keep doing it because you know it's true. And then someone taps your shoulder and says, man, would, you know, would you, you're, you're actually a, you know, a deacon in the church. You're serving that way or you're, you're eldering and, and, and we're going to tap you because we believe God, you're already eldering. We're going to recognize that. And you, you actually become an elder of the church. And, and now you're, now you're, you know, you're in the church and man, you watch the sausage being made and it's not this. It's not this. It's brutal at times. And your heart's kind of like, ugh. But you do it because it's the right thing to do. And you keep leading and you keep serving and you just keep doing things for the Lord. And you find yourself, honestly, some of you are sitting here today because this is what you do. You're here today because you go, I... I um, I want my kids to go to church one day. They need, and that's a good thing. But I mean, really, that was the re- that's the reason you kind of grind through it and you stay at it. How about this? You know, many of us gave toward global. You know, six hundred seventy-five thousand dollars. Amazing. Why did you give? Well, because I want to want to help. That's what Christians do. You know, and these are all okay, right? But was it just out of love? Because he loved me, think this, first, and I love him. And my doing flows out of that. I had a quick diagnosis for all of us, trying to help us get our arms around this. Don't get too legalistic with this at all. Just let it help you if it can. Let me ask you to think of a scale up here and answer these questions as I ask them. Are the things that you do for God mostly done because you have to or because you get to? What's that general feeling in your heart? I have to or I get to. How about this? Do you find yourself doing the right thing, doing a good thing because you should? I mean, that's what you should do. Or because you want to. You ever ever do things because you should? Yeah, we all do, but have you ever done things because you want to? See, this is the gold, because I want duty, desire. I have the desire in it flows out how about this are you most comfortable thinking of it? are you just just you know i'm just most comfortable doing things for god i mean give me something to do some of us say that give me something to do or are you most comfortable just being with god let me ask you it this way again same ideas uh, is your journey of faith characterized more by activities or by affection now i know the christian life is both but I want you to get a feel in your own soul. Where does, where, where does your own life lean? Because the heart, affections, it's what Jesus, motivations is what Jesus sees. And he says, that's what matters. I was going to say most, and that's true, but that's what matters first. <laughs> Are you with me? Don't throw, baby out with, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. But it is out of love that you're doing what you do. Well, Christ's character, Christ's commendation, awesome, you're great. Christ's correction, I have this against you. Thankfully, we have his exhortation. What, what, what do we do with what's before us, Lord, what we hear? Verse 5, therefore, remember, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. Or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Uh, I want to say something about the warning first. Can I say this to everyone in the room? 
No one's losing their salvation here. Okay, that's not what this is describing at all. The lamp stands, you know, metaphorically picture, you know, candle lamp in a dark room does what? What does it do to the dark room? It gives us light. This, that's just the idea of the witness, you know, being, being, being a light in the darkness. And uh, the, the, uh, the reality is, is that uh, Christ will remove a church's witness. It's a fact. Again, it's not about salvation, is it? But, but our, our, the, the opportunity for a community of faith to be a witness in that, in that place. And I'm going to tell you this. It tells us we have nothing to fear but God. It tells me this as well. And I take a lot of encouragement from this, y'all, because I, I, I worry about church. I worry about, well, there's nobody here today or the people are leaving or this is gonna happen. Or, I worry about church and our witness. But the truth of the matter is we have, there's, there's nothing that will extinguish, quite frankly, the witness of a church but, but Christ, you see. And there's no legislation that's going to put churches out of business. There's no lawsuit. There's, there's no outside cultural ideology. There's no uh, city law that can, be, you know, that can do that. The only thing that can do it is if we don't address our own hearts. Problem's not out there. Problem's right there. Christ gives us some very clear instruction, doesn't he? Three things, and you get this right out of the text. The first is remember. Present tense, keep remembering. Bring back to mind. Keep bringing back to mind how far you have fallen. Think back to the times, the days, the seasons, which they come and go, but that you, that you lived out of, out of that first love. And of course, I could not help but reflect on my own. And uh, there's some embarrassment in this story, which I'll mention in a moment. But, but I truly immediately go back, y'all, I go back to to my college years when I first kind of, I was a Christian in my senior high school, but I never grew, didn't have a church. I had no small, I had nothing, but I did become a Christian by God's grace, but I'm floundering until I'm at the University of Tennessee and, and I get involved with, with, with Campus Crusade for Christ. They found me, I didn't find them. Again, the, God of, the grace of God coming to, to, toward me, it's called crew today, but, but, but uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm learning now with these other young people who love Jesus, which I'd never seen, about what God had done and what, what, when I trusted Christ, what that truly meant. I'm just telling you, I got lit up. I'll never forget. And I forget everything. I have very few memories of, of life in some ways. It's crazy. But I remember this. I'm laying in my dorm room bed, Hess Hall. My best friend Scott Perry's on the other bed. I'm laying in the darkness. And I don't you know what this was, but I just remember the clarity of the gospel in my mind that Jesus really is the son of God. He had to be the son of God. He died in my place. There's no one else who could die in my place, but Jesus did it freely. But, and it's the only reason he died is because he took my sin because he had no sin. He was buried and he was raised again. Why did he rise? Because death can't hold someone who has no sin. And Jesus said, if I trust him, I'm just telling you, it just started going in my mind and I wept. You know, I'm 19 years old. I, I just was like, oh my gosh, God, what was that? Just... You love me. And I'm going to tell you, I, I lived in, in, in many of those days in that season. I would I'd walk around that campus and, 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 and I'm just seeing things through God's eyes in that time. And I would do things. I wanted to be around other Christians. I wanted to share my faith and do those things. And, and it was because I just, I loved him and it's who I, who, who I was. And 
I would trust God for things that I probably shouldn't have trusted him for. And, trust, and, he, and I thought he did things that I came to find out later, God doesn't work like that, you know, all that stuff. It didn't matter. I was just, I was overcome by love and I lived out of that love. And then, you know, and then. See, and that's the part that I feel kind of embarrassed by, by that I would go, um, think back to first love. I gotta go back, Lloyd, you really have to go back 35 years for that? Now, there are other times in my life when I want you to know I've experienced, but that's, it, that's the first place I went. That's too long ago, <laughs> but it's true. Remember, secondly, repent. The essence of repentance is to change direction. This is, you know, by the way, repentance is not this. It's not change direction, I'll go this way. Change direction, I'll go this way. Repentance is what? Repentance is change direction and you're going in the opposite direction you were going. That's, that's repentance. The tense of this verb tells us it's something done decisively. It's repent. You, you, you do it. Uh, it's not the, the, the battleship that turns, you know. It's not Lisa driving south to Birmingham and saying, Oh my gosh, I'm going the wrong way. I'll tell you what I'm going to do though. I'm going to skip down to Florida. I'm going to hit Georgia. I'm going to work my way up the coast. And I'm going to circle back. No, what did she do? I'm going to get off. I'm going to turn around and I'm going to go north. Decisive. Repentance. Remember, uh, repent. And third, do the deeds. You did it first. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? You're saying, wait, they were doing things and you don't need to keep doing things. Well, first love is not just a feeling. Uh, there's certainly things that we do, but we're not bypassing. It's the reason why we do what we do. It's the motivation. It's your heart and affections. Well, what do they do? Well, like, like, what are first deeds, which is what that says literally. I think, again, read Ephesians, read Acts. It's, it's, it's read your Bible. Pray. Um, choose to go through life with other believers in community. You know, it's just what, it's, it's the things you know, it's, it's, it's those things. But it's the reason you do all these things here, you see. Uh, Alistair Begg had a, a, a great statement on this, and if I had a board up here, I'd draw it, but I think you'll get it, because it keeps this in perspective. If, if I had a board up here, and, you know, picture in your mind's eye, this is board, and you had a bunch of zeros on it. Zero, 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 you know. You'd have nothing, right? And this can be enduring, persevering, doing good work, sharing your faith. Nothing. They're nothing unless you put a one. What if you put a one in front of all those zeros? Lottery! <laughs> you know, it suddenly changes, doesn't it? And that's the idea here, see? That it's love. And out of that, uh, we had a group at uh, the Brentwood congregation last week. Um, they were uh, doing a seminar, the Simeon's Trust Seminar. Some of you may have done it. It's a Bible study training time, and, and Michael and I went up to meet with these ladies who were in it, maybe 20 women in the upstairs loft, and just to welcome them and pray for them. And I told them, I said, you know, they're getting ready to teach other women how to study the Bible. And I said to them, man, I'm teaching this study in Revelation. And letter to the church, and he says, go back and remember. And I stood there and I said, man, you know, I remember when I first learned to read my Bible. I was, I'm 19 years old, y'all, when this happens. When I first learned to study it, someone showed me how to study it, that I could actually, you know, I thought, you know, the priest had to do it and tell me what it meant, but someone showed me I could read it and I could understand it. And 
I could see what it meant and how to live. And I'm, I mean this. I remember when, those, when that hit me as a, as a young man. I was moved. I, I wept. I was moved when that happened in my heart. And I looked at them and I said, you know what? I'm working all this week. I'll put in 20, 30 hours because I have to. It's my job. Not always, you know what I'm saying, but it's a lot of it, quite frankly. It's my job. So I, I want to get back to where it's beyond have to. It's because he loves me and I love him and I get to. Christ's character, commendation, correction, exhortation, finally the promise, verse 7, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. We're going to hear this phrase over and over, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I want to say just one thing about the promise, he who overcomes. Uh, This is not the elite of the Christian world. This is not like there's eight of you who are going to overcome. Let me tell you this. If you're in Christ, Christ has overcome, you will overcome in Christ. If, you've, if you're born again, if you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you are in Him. You see, look at 1 John 5 to reaffirm that. The tree of life, of course, shows up in the garden in the beginning, shows up in, in the end, doesn't it? But we can't get back to the tree this way, can we? Because a sword will kill us. But Jesus comes along and takes the sword. And now the path to the tree of life is for us. By the way, the tree of life, we were, you understand everyone's born with this in them, the, the, the need, the desire. We were made to be in relationship with God forever. The way has been made by what Jesus has done, and we will eat of the tree of life in the paradise of God. Okay. The Ephesians certainly knew how to break a sweat, but they rarely, if ever, shed an affectionate tear. (laughs) We could say that. If I summarize the passage, you know, I would summarize it this way and hold this in the context of everything I've said. Activity without affection is anathema to the Lord. Activity without affection is anathema to the Lord. Anybody know what anathema means? You guys know what that means? And I think it's the right word, and it works because it begins with A. How about that? But it's the right word. Because it, anathema means disgust. It's put off by. I do think that's exactly what he says. Activity without affection is anathema to the Lord. We're going to take some time to heed what God has said. I'm going to invite the band to come back out. We're going to respond with a song in a moment. It's a new song, so be sung over for a moment, but, but we're going to learn that and respond. But I want you to take a moment as they're getting set here. I'm going to ask you to do three things, and you can do them right now. You don't, this is not something you have to go, you know, I'm going to do this this week in my quiet time. No, do it right now. First is remember. Just think about it. Where do you go back to living out of first love? Go back to that time. Remember, what a gift that we have our memories that season of life. What you were doing was an overflow of love. And then Jesus says, repent. And y'all, again, this is not something you need to do this afternoon. You can do it now if the Spirit so leads. 
So in your heart of hearts, you can turn and say, Lord, I've gotten where I'm doing this because I have to more than because I love you and I want to turn from that. See, it's an act, act, certainly act of the will and heart, but you turn and you can do that literally in this moment. And Jesus says, do the deeds you did at first. So, again, you can keep your eyes closed. Just listen to me as I do this, because I'm going to ask you to come at this a little different, okay? I told you what those were, which are the things you think of from reading your Bible to praying, talking to, to God. But I want you to think for a moment about things that you can do and have done that actually stir your affections for Jesus, very concrete things that, you, you, that, that stir up, that, that kindle your affection for him. Now, this is not going to make sense to anyone but maybe Curtis Sullivan in the room but, or, or Herb Rosa, but sitting in a tree stand stirs my affections. I'm giving you some examples. It, a slow walk in the woods stirs my affections for Christ. I, I've always been stirred uh, by uh, cemeteries at some level, but boy, especially now, visiting my parents' graves stirs my affection for Christ. Honestly, a good movie, (laughs) Uh, Summersby, Return to Me, I could name some, but a good movie can stir my, when they got that redemptive thread, a good book, East of Eden, Ordinary Grace, just a book that describes humanity and then it, Describes this redemptive work. A play about Les Mis, a, the human condition, the goodness of God. Art can stir my affections. I'll never forget. I mean, I, and this is, I'm not saying this because he's one of my best friends, but first time I saw a David Arms painting and understood what he was doing and what it meant and whew, stirred my heart. I don't know if you've ever been to his gallery, but you can go in there and that stirs my heart. Maybe other galleries. Certainly music when it tells a story. Now, I want you to pick one, just one. I'm going to ask you to do it this week. John Walford writes, Love for God is not wrought by legalistically observing commands, but by responding to one's knowledge and appreciation of God's love. So we are going to respond to what we know uh, and appreciate of God's love. We're going to sing a new song. Mandy's going to sing it the chorus over you. So stay seated as she just sings the chorus over you. And then she'll invite us to join her. And when she does, I'm going to stand. You can stand and be reminded and remember anew that old things have passed away, that God's love stays the same, that his grace is our cornerstone, that what was dead lives, that where there was darkness, his light shines. May we respond from the heart.